Hello, Conversations with Dwyer listeners. If you are enjoying the podcast but you want a little bit more, you could become a Patreon subscriber, and for $5 a month, you can get bonus content, bonus episodes, and a podcast that I create solely for Patreon where I talk to comedians about the music that they like. And you get a pin that was created by Charlene Nee of the, the, the Conversations with Dwyer logo. So please, become a Patreon subscriber. The link is in my show notes under All Things Dwyer, or you can just go to themattdwyer.com. Thank you, and enjoy this episode of Conversations with Dwyer. Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast. And speaking of music, that song that played me in is called Build a Nest. It is by Jeff Parker. It is featuring Ruby Parker, his daughter. And that is from his album Sweet for Max Brown. And that came out in 2020. You can find the links to that and all things Jeff Parker in the show notes. Also, we talk about his daughter, who he sang is singing that song and what it's like to work with his daughter. Among other things, uh, Jeff is a guy who spent a lot of times in it, a lot of times plural. He spent times in Chicago, and uh, I like to have Chicago musicians on the show. That's where he cut his chops, so to say, after school. Um, but uh, I don't know. I find a kinship with those who spent some time in Chicago. And Jeff and I are neighbors. He lives a town, a couple towns over from me, or a town. Uh, we, we probably maybe had a sandwich in the same cafe. Who knows? Life is crazy that way. But uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. It's really great. Again, go to the show notes. Check out all things. He's worked with... Uh, all. Check out all things Jeff Parker. Um, and buy something. Don't just stream. It's it, To stream music, I've decided, is an immoral act. And I'm not much one for morals. I believe maybe they're subjective to some degree. But stealing music and not paying for music and not paying artists for their work is surely an immoral act. And you don't want to be immoral. You want to be moral. So buy some music. There. I said it. Um, and he's. Uh, if you're a fan of Jeff Parker's, go and ch- and that's why you're here and you're here for the first time. Thanks for listening. Check out my library. Tons of great stuff in the in the catalog. Um, he's worked with Steve Gunn. Steve Gunn's been on the show. He's worked with Ken Vandermark. Ken Vandermark's been on the show. He knows the the fine people who are in the band Ohm, a Chicago band. Check out that episode with that I did with uh, them, or I did it with Macy. Uh, it's a great... And you can go to themattdwyer.com and, and get linked to everything. My Instagram, as I always say, is a great way to uh, learn about past guests and future guests, or sometimes just see me be stupid. And if you ask my partner or as I like to call her wife, because it implies that I got some goats and some gold coins for her, um, she'll say I'm often stupid, like that joke I just made. <laughs> uh, I know, it's like, I think I talked with somebody on this on the show recently about how it's hard to get partners the sort of best way to say the thing, the person you're with, but I'm still stuck in wife. Just because I, I like to sound Amish, wife, and I say it to her. I say, the wife, wife? And uh, she doesn't return it with husband. I don't know. I I can say this. I, I wouldn't want to live with me. I mean, I have. I've lived with me for decades. 
And I pity the person who uh, is stuck with me. I can't leave. They can. Um, anyway, let's get on to this conversation with Jeff Parker. Again, check the show notes. My show notes are always rich with uh, links and things. And um, enjoy this episode. How was tennis yesterday? Did you, was it, I don't know anything about tennis. Oh, it was good. I played today too. Is that your daily routine for exercise, tennis? Uh, not daily, but I probably try and play like maybe four, at least four, five times a week. I just, uh, I, I, I play tennis and it's like a goddamn Jerry Lewis movie. Like it's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, I'm not like great or nothing, but I really enjoy it. Um, well, that's and it, you know, it keeps, keeps me active. Yeah. Do you, do you have to force that like to be active? Cause I mean, I don't know if like being a great, like I, really have to like stop working and make sure I do exercise, which I, which I mostly don't. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah. I definitely have to t- I take the time to for sure. I mean, I, you know, it's easy if I can just kind of like, I have it on a schedule. I mean, I have a few different people I hit with. And so I kind of, you know, have, one person on Monday and then different person Tuesday, different one Wednesday. Do you, like that. Does it help you creatively to clear your head and then, re- or anything like that? Uh, not that I've noticed. <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool. I mean, I guess it just helps my general, general feeling of general morale. I mean, I feel like I'm treating myself well, and that's that's a that's a good thing. So, yeah. Did were you always? Did you always have a balance like that, or is that something you gained? In? No, no. I I do actually when I'm at home, which is kind of why I don't like the tour so much. I mean, you know, I mean, I know a lot of musicians love to like go out and play for audiences and stuff. But for me, touring was never a very uh, healthy lifestyle for me. <laughs> Do you just eat a lot of, eat a lot of bullshit and throw down a lot of beer? Yeah, kind of all, all of that. I mean, you know, you're eating like weird. I mean, you're pretty much just eating like you're eating restaurant food like every night, which is, you know, more salt, more fat, more everything. So it's, I like to cook, you know, I mean, I like to, uh, I like to make my own food at home and grow, grow food and garden and stuff. So, Is that all, is that all stuff that you've sort of gotten into since you lived in California? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. What, what, what made you come out to, uh, California like because you were you in Chicago before California or did you are you one of those guys who hops around a lot no I was in Chicago for 22 years uh man I mean it's a lot of different reasons I mean mostly I you know my partner is uh here 
this my partner, she's a filmmaker. Um and she uh she teaches at California Institute of the Arts or Cal Arts. And uh you know, we met and started a family and uh and we were kind of living in both places. Like she took a couple years off of work and uh like to leave and um she was kind of living in Chicago with uh me and we had a son and uh we were kind of living in both places. Um and uh kind of living in both places and I was touring so I was traveling all the time you know I was like in LA then Chicago and then like on tour and it was kind of like keep murdering me you know <laughs> that's too just <laughs> <this> too <laughs> like too much travel man and uh and you know our son got older like she she tried to move to Chicago. She applied for a job at Northwestern that she didn't get. So then I kind of had to make a choice, um, which was the hardest thing I've ever had to do, you know, cause I have a daughter who, uh, my daughter still lives in Chicago. And, uh, she was kind of the only reason that I was even really staying in, in town. Cause I felt like, uh, I don't know. I had some different goals career wise that I wanted to, uh, attain. And I felt like Chicago, I wasn't really going to be able to do this stuff. Some of the things I was interested in out there. Um, and you know, I mean, I was feeling stagnant, creatively not very inspired not as inspired by the community as I was at one time um I mean nothing to do with the musicians the great musical community in Chicago it's just kind of like where my head was at at the time so I you know I mean so kind of in a uh by um, practical for practical reasons familial reasons and also creative reasons I moved out here to California yeah I'm I don't know if you know this but I'm I'm from Chicago as well and I think I don't know I I left around 30 31 and I was just I don't know. There is after a while, you just I don't know. You feel like there's something more, even though I didn't know what the fuck that was. But I felt like I don't know. I felt like I I couldn't progress if if I stayed there. Is that also sort of how you felt? Like I, there's like certain and as well as there's like things I wanted to do, and it's like I'm not going to be able to do this in. You're not going to really work in film in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, that's true. I mean, that was that was. Uh that was it I mean I think you know creatively I mean it depends you know I mean if if your aspirations are to like 
be a creative musician. I think uh, you can't really do that here. You know, you can uh, not in, in prof- not professionally, not you know, and make a living at it. You know, um, but there's a, that community is really vibrant in Chicago, and you know, at the time that's what I was into. And as you know, I things started to change. Then, uh, then, uh, that's when my priorities shifted. Well, you know, when I was really just, just kind of interested in making creative music, you know, I was very happy in Chicago, you know, because I think, uh, I mean, there's no place like that in the world, if you ask me, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, you have that kind of kind of a community and like a, a community and infrastructure, I would say. Yeah, it doesn't I mean, exist anywhere else. Uh, it, it, to me, it's. I feel like you could see pretty much any genre of music any night of the week in Chicago, which I can't even say you that could happen in Los Angeles. And I don't even know if that could happen in New York as much as it does in Chicago. Am I, would you say I'm insane on that statement? <laughs> uh, I think New York, uh, no, I th- I think New York is probably the only other place where you could do that. Um, yeah, I would say. But, I mean, that's two places out in the whole world. <laughs> <laughs> and just two, and I know Chicago has changed a lot, but it used to, as an artist, to live, it used to be the ideal place to live because there was a gazillion places you could get stage time uh, literally a right. gazillion, I counted, and and you could live relatively cheap, which you I don't know if you can yeah. anymore. But it was like the ideal fucking place to cut your chops as an artist. Is that? And I was curious if that's what is it that drove drew you to Chicago? Uh, I mean, I I had never been to Chicago when I initially moved there. I mean, it was kind of a. I mean, I. I moved to Chicago because I had a job. You know, they op- they were opening a Tower Records in Chicago, and they hired me to uh, to work at the new store because I knew um, I knew a lot of people who worked at the Tower Records in Boston when I was in. You know, I went to Berkeley. Did you finish? So I lived in Boston. Did you finish Berkeley? Because uh, it seems like a lot of the people I talked to haven't finished Berkeley. No, I didn't graduate. <laughs> I literally, no, I was. I've had two two people out of a a bunch of people I know who've gone to Berkeley. Only two I know have finished. Yeah, yeah, it's different now. It depends on what generation you talk to. I talked to uh, uh, Kishibashi is his band name, Karu, Karu Ishibashi, and he like he he's the one guy that finished, and I think he's like forty five, so I think that's an article. Oh wow! But uh, what? 
Uh, that's wild. So you just went blindly to Chicago because you got a job at Target or at uh, Tower Records? Yep. And uh, I mean, my initial plan was just for it to be temporary. Just, you know, I mean, I finished school. I had some student loan debt. And my plan was to, uh, you know, work at the record store and practice and then uh, maybe pay off some student loans and uh, and eventually move to New York City. Like, you know, like the, the path of the jazz musician, you know. Um, but, you know, I mean, man, I was, you know, I was 22, 23. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I mean, I just kind of thought that that's what I was supposed to do. And, uh, even though I didn't want to move to New York, I mean, I didn't think I didn't want to because I felt like I wasn't ready. But, uh, once I got to Chicago and I kind of got, at least absorbed in the music community, then it was kind of, I realized in hindsight that it was the perfect place for me. Cause I'm a very like a uh, kind of, I like to go at my own pace with stuff. And I like to kind of like make, make my own way with stuff rather than, uh, and Chicago was a real place where you could kind of like, kind of, dig your own carve out your own niche you know that's something that I don't you couldn't be as much of a nonconformist in a place like uh, New York do you you find that Chicago sort of uh, encourages people to sort of move out of the creatively be outside of the norm or push themselves in different directions? Uh, does it encourage that? Um, I would, well, if there's a tradition of it, you know, I mean, it's a very independently minded city. I mean, it's kind of just, if you look at it historically, in terms of in the music industry and even in like in, in all aspects of the arts, you know, because it's a kind of, it's almost on an Island in a weird way. It's because, you know, the film industry is here. A lot of the music and music industry is in California, you know, and a lot of the, a lot of the other music you know big entertainment industry is in the mainstream is in new york city too and also nashville now but chicago was always well it's a lot of different factors you know it's like a big uh african-american population which you know they had uh all the independent black music was in the Midwest, you know, like um, Motown, Record Row, like um, all of that stuff. It was independent, you know, it wasn't on major, major labels. I mean, it was called, you know, they called it whatever race music. And uh, it was all based in Chicago, 
chess records, you know, cadet, like all of that stuff. And that's, that's independent right there. And then, you know, from that infrastructure, like touch and go records, you know, wax tracks, SST based in Madison, Wisconsin, like the AACM, like all of that stuff is all independent music, you know, and that's all stuff from in the Midwest. So it's not like, so it's always that there. And then an audience that's kind of like follows that, that, um, that path, you know, yeah, I always, Does I, that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I just, when I, because the time I spent in Chicago, it was a lot of people just not waiting around for someone to, like, you know, people just go and do a show. Like, they didn't need to get hired or asked to do something. They were just like, fuck it, we're going to do it in a storefront or the corner of this bar and or a coffee shop. Yeah, and, yeah. And that could be, that was like anything. That could be comedy, theater, uh, and music and that's what I always found exciting about the city is no one f- waited around and they were just like fuck it we'll do it and a lot of people and you know a lot of the what later became institutions like Steppenwolf and Second City started off that way and I feel like there is a rich tradition of th- that you know of course then I feel like then some of those institutions need to move the fuck on <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I, mean, I hear you yeah. I mean I feel like you know I worked at Second City and I just now I just see it as this corporate monolith and I'm like, man, you were supposed right. to be a theater for the working like the proletariat. That was the sort of the mission statement. I'm like, you ain't that, man. <laughs> it's like right, right. And I feel like death yeah, of yeah. death of institutions exp- insp- I don't know if that were there institutions like that within the music scene in Chicago? Uh institutions not that I or like, not that I'm really not that I'm really uh aware of no I mean there are you know arts organizations and stuff um but I guess they're institutions I mean they're institutions they, they're you know the art institute um has a big, you know, obviously huge uh, presence in the fine arts, visual arts, you know. Um, And the city itself, you know, I mean, that's an institution uh, in terms of uh, the Department of Cultural Affairs, you know, the city, you know, but the arts, music, and visual art are that's a big tourist attraction in Chicago. So there's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of the city puts money and resources into the community. I mean, so that's kind of an institution. Uh, but I can't, con- you know, but that's huge. I mean, that's a big, that's a big thing, especially now. I mean, it's gotten much bigger and more problematic too because you know whatever Boeing and you know big whoever's big they you know they 
they're giving money to the city to give to artists. And so it's always that once that thing starts to happen, then it's uh, always somebody who's going to be like telling you what they want you to do. So. So when you moved to Chicago, did you, did you have any connection to anybody? Like, was it just this blind I'm here and I got to figure out what the fuck I'm going to do musically? Uh, I mean, I knew a few people. I didn't really know any musicians. I had um, a good friend, uh, this drummer, Ted Sirota, who I used to play with quite a lot. Um, He had some friends from high school who were still, they were students at Columbia College. And I knew them because they'd come up and visit Ted in uh, Boston. And those were kind of like my roommates when I moved to Chicago, but I didn't know any musicians then. How did you, was it in, I mean, how does one begin to even find their way into playing if you don't, I like, I'm always, I've always been fortunate that I somehow just fell into situations where I couldn't imagine trying to navigate that. Yeah. Well, there's always like sessions, like public jam sessions at jazz clubs. I mean, it's usually, if there's a handful of clubs in town, like they always have an open, like kind of an open, it's just a jam set, like where they have a house rhythm section and musicians can come up and play with the, with the house musicians. And if you're good, you meet people and then you kind of maybe start getting some gigs. I mean, that's what happened with me. Like I uh, went to some jam sessions, met some musicians, then, uh, but also, you know, we word gets around. Yeah, this guy's pretty good, you know, whatever. Like the new gunslinger in town? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, it was... You know, I mean, it didn't take long. I mean, I was probably in, well, I was in Chicago for probably a year before I started to, like, really get calls for a lot of gigs. Um, after a year and a half, I was able to quit quit the record store. Wow, that's... And I was just making a just making a living as a musician. Is that just like is session gigs, or is that also like playing around town live? Uh, I was mostly playing around town live, but I did a session. Like I did um the second record session I ever did was um there's this group from the AACM. For anybody who doesn't know what AACM is, that's the Association for the Advancement of Creative Musicians. This is an organization. I'm a member of it. I mean, I'm a kind of associate member. I've been since 1995. But there's a group from the AACM led by this alto saxophone player named Ernest Dawkins. And then his band was called the New Horizons Ensemble. And, uh, we did a session for the Swiss label called Silk Heart Records. 
Um, and just to give you an idea, man, of how cheap it was to live in Chicago at the time, <laughs> dude, I paid, I mean, this was in 1993. I mean, so it was a while ago, but I played, I did the recording session and I, I got paid $800 and I paid my rent for six months. Holy shit. I, what neighborhood were you in? My, Logan Square. Oh right, that was because I, I, I. That was because uh, I lived in Wicker Park around that time, and that was a, like I paid one fifty for rent, and it was just, yeah, yeah. My rent was one hundred twenty five bucks, man. And did you just? Pay, I paid my rent. Say what? Oh, I was just going to ask if you were just like I'm going to pay six months rent, so I don't have to th- even think about it. Oh yeah, yeah, that was my plan. I mean, I just paid it because my was my only expense was rent and food, man. And uh, I paid my rent for six months just, and then that gave me six months to figure out how to like make a living as a musician, you know. And I had a gig uh, at this place. You might remember this place called the Get Me High Lounge. Yeah, does that not exist anymore? Yeah, no, it's been going a long time, man. Probably at least twenty years. But uh, I played there twice a week. One was the jam session, the open session, and uh, the other one was um, every Thursday night. So I played there twice a week with this great tenor saxophone player um, named Lynn Halliday, and. Uh, I made 75 bucks for, um, man, I think I made 75 bucks for both of those gigs. And that was how I, that was how I ate for six months. Just off of that, 150 bucks a week. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, I don't think, I don't think people could do that. Like, I don't think that exists today. Like, I, I mean, there's no one, I would be hard pressed to find the equivalent of 150 bucks for rent in Chicago these days. I wonder if that, if those, yeah. if that, or any, cause when I, what, when did you move to LA? 20, uh, 2013. Okay, that wasn't, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, I moved here in 2001, and it was like, rent was cheap, like, I found a $500, like, place, which you just probably now would be, like, wow, 15, 2000, <laughs> it's like, yeah, sure, yeah, uh, was it hard to, was that hard to leave, in, I know you had your daughter in Chicago, but was that hard to leave that sort of, like, that gig life or did you, or did you already have uh, things established in LA creatively when you came this way? Yeah, no, I had a career, man. You know I mean? When I moved to LA, I thankfully had a 20 year career as a creative musician where I would gotten some notoriety and like, you know I mean? I'm playing tortoise, uh, which was, you know, in our, Heyday was a pretty popular band. I mean, we made it made a good living. I mean, probably once I started touring, mostly with Tortoise, I stopped having to play gigs around Chicago. 
like I stopped being that kind of a working local musician. Tortoise. I was kind of more of an international touring guy. Yeah, Tortoise has been actually mentioned quite a lot on this on the podcast. I was, how did? Because I know you weren't like originally a member. You came in like uh, like two two albums in, I think. Yeah. How did the, uh, yeah. How did the, you end up? Uh, did you just know them from around? Like how did and how did that happen? And and how I don't know. How did you feel about ask, being asked? Because I remember. That was like, you know, that was one of the bands in Chicago that it, it was them and like Jesus Lizard were what everybody talked about. Sure, yeah. Maybe, uh, well, Surge Overkill, Smashing Pumpkins. And of course, Tim Rattilly. I don't want to leave out. Uh, yeah, Red. red yeah. I, did you know red, Tim? Red Meat, yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a small community of musicians. Uh, you know, I mean, Chicago is a big city, but it's kind of a small town vibe. You know, everybody knows each other, kind of, for better or for worse. Um, so, Tortoise. Um, I was, uh, I mean, I mentioned, you know, I played with that group, New Horizons Ensemble. And you know, Cats and Tortoise are big music fans, um, generally. And you know, even though they were kind of came up playing in punk rock bands and shit, Cats, they were checking everything out. And uh, they heard new, they had seen New Horizons play, you know. And uh, I went into the, the Rainbow Club which is, you know, the bar at, uh, I'm sure you know that place. At yeah, the didn't they all, Division in Damon. didn't a lot of them bartend there? That was the... Yes, and that's exactly where, where I'm going. <laughs> so I walked in, <laughs> I walked into the bar to have a drink, and Johnny Herndon was the bartender. And he's like, hey, man, you're the guitar player in New Horizons. And I said, yeah. And he said, man, I play drums. We should play sometime. I was like, oh, cool. So we exchanged numbers and then kind of became good friends and jamming together. And uh, we were playing, you know, quite a bit. I mean, and I was also, um, there was a band called Uptighty. It was like a kind of a funk band pop pop kind of folk band with a rotating uh, group of musicians loosely. I mean, I used to play with them sometimes. They would hire me to play. And it was led by Leroy Bach, who's a um, great musician. But he was in Wilco for a short time. Um, but Dan Bidney also played with Uptidy. So I kind of knew Dan from Uptidy. And then, I mean, it was just like a community of like, of, of, of musicians, you know, people just kind of like centered around activity in Wicker Park. Like, you know, playing at the Double Door or playing at the Hot House, you know, there's this place on the corner of, uh, Milwaukee and Damon and North Avenue 
called Wild Cherry that used to have shows. And, uh, you know, Dan's band, Tar Babies, was still pretty active. And they also had an offshoot of that band called Booty Fruit. (laughs) (laughs) They were great. I mean, they're all same, that same kind of like funky, punky kind of aesthetic like almost harmonic thing, you know, they're really influenced by like prime time and, you know, T-Funk and yep. just like Vanderbunk had like a kind of a funk band for a while too. I think it was funk or maybe more like, like, I don't know. You remember Crown Royals that he played? They would play oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. At, at the Bluebird Lounge. I think they played every Sunday or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was Ken's, uh, can answer to the uh, swing band uh, thing. <laughs> there was a band. Remember that that movement, man. Yeah, uh, and there was some band that would play at the Green Mill that just packed the fucking place. And of course, it was fronted by a real handsome crooner guy. But singing all the, right, yeah, that was the mighty mighty Blue Kings. Yeah. That's right. The mighty Blue Kings. Yeah, I just They're went in there one night. Enormously popular. Yeah, I'm surprised. Did they, but they never like. Because that that was a little ahead of, or maybe it was just the early rumblings of that scene. Because then after like swingers, it was like the, all the craze, and I I always thought like maybe those guys would uh, move more to the mainstream. But I guess they I don't know what happened. I I lost touch with the, them. <laughs> yeah. Well, man. I mean, you know, I don't want to. Well, I'm I'm gonna hold my tongue, but. Yeah, was it? But was there a was because I always wondered this about jazz, and and I've actually meant to because Ken's been on twice, and I've wanted, I've always wondered like, is there? Tell, tell me if this is wrong, but I feel like with a lot of jazz musicians, it's all about let's keep trying to move forward and discover things personally, and as an art form. Is would you say that is correct, or am I? Because I'm if not, I'm then it kills my follow up. <laughs> Would I say that's correct? Uh, sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's, you know, jazz is a big, broad thing. It's definitely not monolithic. I mean, it's people who stay very, very, very much in established musical traditions and who are kind of the exact opposite of that, since that attitude that you just articulated. Um so yeah I agree but I also disagree I was just curious because if like somebody becomes if somebody becomes popular playing jazz music and it's sort of more rooted into an older sort of genre like I don't know for lack of a better example bebop I'm always wondering if like uh, more contemporary artists or guys who are pushing it and trying to experiment if how they if there is a I don't know if I don't want to say judgment, but if they're like, oh man, you're just doing that old <laughs> plant. Like, I don't know. Does that make sense? I don't want you to like shit talk to anybody, but I'm just curious, like if there is sort of how that, if that's frowned upon or if it's, it doesn't matter because, Hey, we're all just playing jazz and it, whatever gets the word out there. Uh, some, I mean, you know, some people frown upon it and some people, some people don't. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm kind of a, I have, 
I have feet in both camps. And, uh, I mean, I play with like, I mean, you know, I mean, I toured with Joey D. Francesco's band for a year. I mean, and Joey's very much, I mean, he's a amazing creative savant kind of improviser and musician, but you know, his music, he's very, comes very much from like a tradition of, of, uh, improvising in jazz in a very specific kind of uh, traditional way, you know. Um, but there's a tremendous creativity even within that. So it's kind of a, but I also, you know, I mean, I also play with with musicians like Ken, who's, you know, Ken's, uh, Ken's always moving and, you know, he's trying to, He's very uh, progressive, kind of. He he looks at musicians, the music in a very progressive way. You know, I mean, so much that he. Uh, I don't think he was. Ken was ever interested in like learning, like playing bebop and stuff. He just wanted to do like move the stuff in other directions. So, and there's tremendous creativity within that and limitations also. So it's, uh, it kind of all depends, you know, you know. What is, do you have a personal things that you are striving for within your music? Like, uh, I don't have not articulating this as well as I was hoping, but you know, like, no, no. Uh, like your aesthetics that you wish to follow and be like, these are my goals. This is where I want to get to. Yeah. I mean, I try and move, I try and do something that's different, you know, I, well, my thing is more about ideas. It's not about, uh, you know, I figure if the ideas are are um, unique, then the music is gonna it's gonna sound unique. I mean, you know, and it's I mean that's a lot of my my own music is very uh, conceptual. You know, it's like I'm thinking about. Uh, putting things together in different ways, you know, like, um, it's a lot of, a lot of it is very process, um, driven, you know, like what if I would be like, okay, so I'm going to do this. I have these intervals that I'm going to like deal with. And if I, I don't know, I've, I mean, I don't necessarily, but I think that, that, that if you have unique ideas, you're going to move things forward because that's what all the progressive music that you've heard, that's where it starts. I mean, it starts from ideas, you know, it doesn't start from like, it doesn't even start from uh, 
rhythm or melody or harmony and stuff. It sounds, it's, I think it, they start from much grander uh, thoughts and ideas about how to like move things in different directions. Um, is that because I was reading, it was like new, new breed when you started working in, with, on that, was there, because I've read that you were saying that you wanted to, I, I, I'm paraphrasing, but like prove that you could write to yourself, I think, write and arrange and like it was the whole, was that like a conscious like new direction that you wanted to do and for yourself? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was, you know, I mean, that... I collaborated. I mean, I've had a kind of a year, a 30 year career just I presented my own music. It was very collaborative in nature. It was like, you know, I had a trio with Chad Taylor and Chris Lopes and those dudes wrote as much music as I did. And I was kind of, uh, I felt like I was, too reliant on other people's to kind of make my music. And I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it myself, you know, cause I never had. And I was kind of, uh, I mean, that's like a bigger diet thing, but then, you know, I had like smaller, ideas about how I was actually constructing the music, you know, where I was kind of like demoing things in this kind of recording process with like samplers and like, you know, um, sampling stuff and kind of, you know, the way that Tortoise makes our music where you kind of, we're recording things and then kind of like, moving things around to try and like make arrangements, like make music that way, as opposed to like a bunch of musicians playing live in a room, like a garage band, you know, like a rock band or even like jazz, you know, where you like people improvising together is a much more solitary way of creating music. And yeah. Uh, was that was that something that always like sort of ate at you, or not ate, but like that was on your mind of like I want to break away from collaborating and stretch out on my own. Uh no, no, not always. I mean, it was kind of I was actually against it for like I thought you know I thought it was a much more unique gesture in the jazz community to collaborate with musicians to be, to have a band, you know, was, I mean, uh, because it is, I mean, it's a little more normal now, it seems, but, you know, I mean, it was always like jazz was always like, you know, the Chicoria quartet, you know, or the whatever, you know, Keith Jarrett trio, you know, Stan gets core and his band. And it's kind of like, you know, even though everybody else is contributing, like 
even as equally as the person who's out front, like the jazz community, they kind of just always wanted to like have this one thing to focus on. And that was kind of, uh, I mean, a lot of it was just kind of me being, you know, young, younger in my twenties and thirties. And I just wanted to make music with my friends, you know, and we were kind of like, had this support system, you know, where we were kind of like bring out the best in each other musically. And like, everybody was kind of like contributing, you know, we were writing music together and sharing all the credit for it, you know, and like had these bands and stuff like crews, tight knit group of people. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think once I got older and priorities changed, you know, I mean, sometimes process to write music with a group of musicians, it just takes too long. Like time, it takes time that I don't have anymore, you know? And, uh, I don't know. I just felt like I was kind of, I needed to grow. And I figured I had, that kind of took some retreat into myself and re-examining my priorities just as a musician and as a human and everything um, to try and figure it out. And you know, a lot of the music that I make now, I mean, it's me still trying to figure it out, you know. Is there an element of like, just, I mean, not just figuring it out musically, but sort of a personal of figuring things out within yourself that goes with that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man. Because didn't it, did you did your father uh, pass during the recording of the f- first new breed? That, yes, yes, he did. Because uh, I was curious of like what that, how that affects your creative process. I mean, that must be a profound. Did you channel that into your what you were? recording or like I, I don't know it just seems like I, it seems almost impossible not to influence what you were doing oh yeah yeah I mean it kind of be well it kind of focused the process or kind of anchored it I would say I mean I was already making the music and it was going in a certain direction but it kind of uh yeah I mean it helped everything make sense uh you know, I mean, I mean, my father was kind of the person who got me into music. I mean, he really loved music himself. What what sort of uh, music would he play or listen to? Uh, like a lot of black music, you know, gospel music, blues, jazz, folk. Uh, you know, hip hop. He was into that. When at first, he was kind of like a um, he was kind of an amateur, like DJ. He um, he could sing. You know, he had a pretty nice singing voice. 
Uh, but yeah, man, I mean, you know, he's, he saw that I had an aptitude for music and was drawn to it. So you know, he signed me up for lessons and took me to shows. He was always playing me stuff. Check this out. And, uh, you know, he's like, say what? Oh, I was just going to ask what drew you, did he inspire the guitar or what drew you towards guitar? Uh, no, he, um, my sister had played guitar. I took some guitar lessons. I mean, she didn't stick with it. So we had an old acoustic guitar laying around the house and I just picked it up and started to like figure things out on it. Once they saw that, that's when they signed me up for guitar lessons. But before that, I was taking piano lessons. My grandma had a piano, and whenever I went over there, I would, like, sit down and play it. So they signed me up. Well, she actually had an organ. She had one of those kind of, like, Lowry big organs with a couple layers of keyboard and like you know the sounds glockenspiel and like <laughs> celeste kind of sounds they had, and they had <laughs> like this samba beat was there, was uh, i'm not sure if hers had uh i don't remember hers having a rhythm in it yeah my grandmother had one of those and it had like all kinds of like you know polka beats and whatnot Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I don't think hers had the rhythm. And how did it, how did it come about that you start? Because your daughter sings on some of your stuff, and I was curious. Like, it, is that uh, it, did she, did that just happen, or is she also going into music? Yeah, no, she's in music. She's a music major at uh, Columbia College in Chicago. She just finished her freshman year. Wow. Um. Yeah, no, she was kind of the same. I mean, she's in the music. And uh, we just started, you know, we just started making stuff for fun, you know. Just, just, she was, you know, home from school, sick or some shit. <laughs> Rather than, like, let her watch movies all the time, I'd be like, yeah, let's make a song, you know. And she was like the same. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, we were just, we just kind of make all this music for fun. And, uh, I had that song cliche, uh, which is the last song on the new breed and it was instrumental, you know, it was, and it wasn't really coming together. I was just kind of like, what the hell can I do? I, I don't know what to do with this thing. It's like, I like the ideas, but it's like not something's missing. And, uh, I was like, well, what if I wrote some lyrics and got somebody to sing it? I mean, I couldn't, the only singer I had ever really worked with was my daughter. So I was kind of like, well, I'll just get her to sing it. (laughs) (laughs) She was like 14 at the time. Whoa. That's I, cause I've, I mean, she's great. Like I I would have never guessed she was 14. Yeah, she was in at that time when she was uh, when she sang on "Sweet for Max Brown." When we recorded that, she was sixteen. 
How did, she's 19 now. How'd that feel as a, as a dad, like working with your daughter? I mean, is that like kind of a trip? Uh, you no, know, it's, it's cool, man. I mean, it's hard. I mean, you know, I mean, she's, you know, she's a teenager and she's a, be very hard on herself and kind of like as a adolescence can be, you know, uh, like pulling teeth sometimes, you know, it's definitely, I mean, we all put our, our parents through it and there's, you know, full disclosure. I mean, that's, that's part of it, but it's also very cool to have that connection when you're my kid. I mean, I make music with my son now too. I have a nine year old son and he, uh, you know, we make stuff. That's, uh, that's, I don't know that I just can't imagine. Like I have two daughters and we joke around like my daughter and I have like this weird little routine we do. And it's like nothing intricate, like telling music together, but, but like, it's just like this weird, like pride. And like, I don't know. It's just, I'm just like, Oh wow. I'm doing, I have a, comedy routine i do with my daughter <laughs> we're not <laughs> I mean, we're not gonna go out and play anywhere but uh, it's just like this in- weird i don't know you're like proud but because i always always oh yeah were you ever are you were you at all hesitant of her going into music were you like oh because at first i was like oh shit i would never want my kids to go into my business and then now i'm like i don't know it's like it's what we do especially in Los Angeles. Yeah, no, I was real uh, apprehensive toward. Uh, I mean, I'm still nervous about her, her doing it. She had. Uh, I'm, <clears throat> I mean, she's trying to figure it out. I mean, I don't know if she'll she'll stay with it. Uh, she'll always make music. I don't know if she'll like stay like trying to do it professionally. It, it, do you struggle with like? giving her your two cents are you like oh, she's got to figure it out or is it hard to not uh, uh, I struggle with it I mean I try and give her advice as best as I can you know but you know I mean she's her own person she'll 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 figure it out you know Um, yeah and you also you have a do you have an album coming out? Cause I know you have a single out called soul love. Is there an album that's to follow soon? Yeah. The album, uh, not of my, I mean, that's part of a compilation. Um, that's one of the singles from it. The whole thing comes out on the 28th. Um, yeah, it's called modern love. It's just like all David Bowie covers. I somehow did not know that. And I usually, I try to do as much research as possible because I'm, I don't want to miss, not understand something. I clearly, I, yeah. I clearly failed you, Jeff Parker. <laughs> I should have, I should have oh, intentionally got your name wrong. I failed you, Carl Walker. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, and you're gonna. St- yeah. And you're about to head out on a tour with Steve Gunn. 
Uh, yeah, not about to, but it's oh. in, uh, it's in, uh, like the autumn or it's in, it's in the winter. It's in, um, what kind of, what I guess would be late autumn. It's like early December. I think the first show is on December 2nd. Um, how did you, have you worked with Steve before? And I was just curious how that, how that came about that you, and are you touring with anybody else? Cause I know it's like co-headlining. I was just curious what the whole situation will be. No, it's just the two of us both playing solo sets. And I think when he plays in New York, which is where he's from, he's going to have some, a band for that, but I'm just playing solo guitar. Um, but yeah, me and Steve, we played a show together uh, in 2017, I think, or 16, 16 or 17. We played in Manchester, New Hampshire. We shared a bill. And, uh, you know, I like what he does. He likes what I do. And uh, I played, I'm on one or two songs on the new album that he has coming out, which was difficult because, you know, it was all done remotely. Um, so that's the only time I've actually played uh, music with him, kind of, uh, even though not with him at all. When, yeah, did you like record from home? And because I know he was in Los Angeles recording, but I didn't know. Like, I was curious because that was still things were pretty heated with COVID at that time. Yeah, yeah, he was here, and it was kind of like I was just kind of like I'm not going in any recording studios. <laughs> like, if anybody, it's like if you want me to be on your record, I can record it for you here, and then send you the stuff so that's how we tried to do it yeah well uh thank you very much for your time for listening to conversations with the wire please become a patreon subscriber if you like also subscribe to the show on your iTunes or what have you not, and tell your friends about the show. That would mean a lot to me. As well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or themattdwyer.com or Conversations with Dwyer at the Instagram, and you could learn more about the show, buy merch, and all those great things. Thank you very much for listening.